0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash newreleases. That's bookriot.com slash newreleases. Happy browsing.
1: Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, January 28th, 2021. I'm Jeff O'Neill. Joined today by Jen Northington. Rebecca's out. Jen, welcome back to, to the Thank show. Thank you. It's. I was thinking. Was the last time you were on to talk about the Dune trailer seventy five years ago?
0: <laughs> Seriously, one million years ago. Yes, that is the last time I was on. <laughs>
1: and yet, Dune is still not out. Uh, I wouldn't. Well,
0: have... <laughs> Didn't we get – we got news about that that now I can't remember. It's like – isn't it part of HBO Max is like you get them for one month kind of situation? Sure. We're
1: in like the Schrodinger's box office with movies right now. We don't know. (laughs) I mean – the next big one. Well, we'll get. Let's maybe we'll do a follow up on that because I think, yeah, as yeah. Dune fans, it might be worth talking about some other adaptation stuff that's going on. But it's been a while since you were on for for a new show, anyway. But it, just, it struck me as funny. It's like, what? What would the over under? What was going to come first, Jen coming on again or Dune coming out? <laughs> Uh, I, think, I think the odds for those were probably pretty divergent. They're our first real big news week of the year. Um, some of it is because Rebecca and I did a, the preview show last week, so some of the stories we would have talked about last week mm. have gotten dropped into your guest lap, Jen, so we get to, we get to <laughs> wrestle with them. Uh, but before we dive into it, uh, let's do a sponsor break.
0: Explode your to-be-read pile with the New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing.
1: Uh, on the update front, and you may know more about the inner workings of publishing than I do. I mean, I don't know at this point if you do or not, but like the imprint versus distributor the distributor thing is yeah. weird. And Rebecca and I think mentioned in passing last week that Josh Hawley was getting the stanky boot, I believe was the the phrase we used <laughs> from Simon Schuster however Regnery um which is a conservative imprint distributed by simon schuster will has now picked up the book, and Simon schuster will distribute it, which means i guess for for a lay personish lay personish person wow, that was something uh does that mean Simon Schuster has made a stand at all? I guess is the question sort of rolling around people's minds are they just uh Robin P- Peter to pay Paul morally, or are they re- Is this really materially affect them? Or Jen, what do you think about this right now? What's your sense of what this means for you know Holly and Simon and Schuster, and really the change? Maybe the signal, the single biggest change we've seen um, over time is that publishers willing to do stuff like this to a sitting U.S. senator—not for nothing—is uh, yeah. really interesting.
0: Yeah, so I guess we should say we're looking at a piece uh, on The Guardian by Martin Pengelly. And yeah, so, okay, so publisher versus distributors and imprints. It's it's an interesting relationship. My understanding, and this is how it was when I was a bookseller, is that it is very common for a big five Mm -hmm. publisher to agree to use their warehouse... And sometimes, like printing, but usually I think it's just warehouse distribution um, on behalf of a much smaller. Imprint. So, like, for example, Europa Press, right, who do great right. translated fiction, are distributed by Penguin, now Penguin Random House, because Europa doesn't have a network of warehouses across the country that can ship out books to bookstores and other distributors at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they, I assume, have some kind of financial agreement with Penguin where Penguin, like, gets a cut or whatever of sales, you know, however that works out. So, Generally, that's the relationship between a a Big Five publisher and a smaller press or imprint is that, you know, the Big Five has agreed to use their warehouses and distribution channels on behalf of that smaller imprint. So, you know, legally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they are not responsible for the content of those books. Uh, And and it's an interesting case in this situation, you know, that a Simon & Schuster press imprint, whatever you want to call it, was going to publish this, dropped it, and then it got picked up by an imprint that is distributed but not owned by Simon & Schuster. So... Yeah, like legally, yes, it is different. Mm-hmm. And I would think it would be potentially much more complicated for Simon & Schuster to refuse to distribute it yeah. than it would be to refuse to publish it. Because they have, you know, clauses uh, in their contracts with authors that allow them to do stuff like this, right? Like we've seen, you're right, it's, we've seen more and more publishers willing to do this Um When it when it comes, you know, when it comes down to the wire uh, and there's enough pushback against the publication of Mm -hmm. a book like this. Um, But I don't know how much legal standing they have to refuse to distribute a particular book by. A publisher that they have a distribution agreement for. Yeah, I mean, so, so how much is plausible yeah.
1: deniability? It's like, ah, not our book. They're just, uh, they're just throwing right. it on our truck, essentially, or something right. like that. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, that's the argument. Again, I don't know. I have no idea. Right. I could believe that it's much more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no idea what those contracts look like. Do they have clauses for objectionable materials? Like, who knows what the wording is or how that works? I, I don't know. Uh, so
1: well, it's it's not unrelated, I don't think, to the idea of platform writ large, which is happening on all sorts of and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of modes right now. Like various people getting removed from Twitter is a deplatforming, mm-hmm. right? And how much yep. is Simon Schuster dropping Holly? a deep platforming when he just can then get another imprint or another publisher using the same infrastructure, or at least to some degree, yeah. how much are we willing, how much are companies, how much employees of those companies, I think employees of companies in these situations are, are a force for this kind of change. That's maybe, maybe the single biggest difference is people at some of these places. Like I remember, yeah. you know, the, the, the Hachette walkout, I think it was against the Woody yes. Allen book, right? It was a signal mm-hmm. moment there. It's like, not only does, is it bad business, um, but it's like, we just don't want to do this. As the people who make right. this thing, we don't want to do this. Do they feel differently? You know, Simon & Schuster people thinking, I mean, well, it, I don't know. It, it's very tricky, it seems to me.
0: Yeah, it would mean that none of Simon & Schuster's employees would be working on the book, certainly. Like, right. none of their editorial people involved, None of their probably none of their publishing or marketing people are involved, although potentially they could have a marketing agreement they with could. the the imprints they distribute with. So that would be, that's a potential pain point right there. Uh, so, you know, it, it it depends on, yeah, like, what is, is it just we're putting it on the truck? Or is it, yeah, we're doing marketing and publicity for this as well. We're grouping it in with our promotions, like right. there's all kinds yeah. of potential pain points for this, uh, that would could potentially affect An employee of Simon & Schuster, yeah, rather than an employee of Regnery.
1: And and not for nothing. I mean, I guess the biggest or or the most sort of pillars of the earth moral case is this book is using our stuff to get into the world, right? I mean, that's whatever the agreement is. I think that's another thing people are trying to recalibrate is, okay, legal things aside, I understand. And maybe some of these slip through the crack. But in the future, does Simon & Schuster want to say we have the right... Yeah. as part of our distribution agreement to say no bueno to a particular book. Because then they'd have to... Essentially, they get all of the downside of being editorially responsible right. and none of the upside because they have to basically authorize everything. So at what point, what are you doing there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seems really tough. And I'm sympathetic to the problem. Um, you know, I'm not the kind of person saying Holly shouldn't be able to print his whatever on paper at home and hand it out in the corners. But as as Rebecca and I have said here many times... You don't have a right to a publishing deal. I don't have a publishing deal. I'm right. not being silenced. That sort of thing. Right. But where, do, you know, how do how do we? Where is the accountability? I guess. And it feels like yeah. there's these walls that are becoming obviously less ethically um, r- water resistant to the different pieces <laughs> of the business, and everyone's rethinking it. I. Yeah, You know, I, I can't imagine that Simon and Schuster was thrilled to see that Regnery is picking it up. They'd rather some other distributor, you know, to yeah, have this right. problem, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine right. they we're thrilled to say, great, now we we got, we got get neither the benefit, uh, you know, pub, the PR benefit of dropping it, nor the financial benefit of just publishing it directly, so we get the worst of both worlds right. in this kind of situation as well. I would I, be curious to see how, if they rethink these distribution agreements going forward. Because presumably yeah. there was stuff they wouldn't distribute, right? There's got to be some... Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Th- there must I, be some bottom to the barrel.
0: I would assume that they vet pretty specifically who they distribute for no. because they do know that now, especially in readers' eyes, readers don't know, no, you know, so they're they going to be associated potentially with this. Uh I I will I do want to say this is sort of a side issue, but I have a bone to pick with how the coverage of this oh, has great. been around conservative imprints mm. because it seems to me That all of the press are using an extremely broad brush to say that, you know, oh, is this this the death of conservative imprint publishing? Mm. Is this, you know, do no conservatives ever get a book deal ever again? And I think it's important to point out that there is a difference between your, like, standard conservative... Republican and Senator Hawley. Mm -hmm. I I think it bears saying that, I mean, we have seen that there are divides in the Republican Party. There are people who are conservatives who don't identify as Republican and who maybe hold different beliefs. But I, 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 I think it's extremely incorrect. Yeah to just talk about conservative publishing as if it were all the same thing. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's this is just an issue I have with language. I think that's a really... I think that is a bad bad way to go because it just denies us any ability to have a nuanced conversations about the spectrum of what it means to be a conservative in the same way that there's a spectrum of what it means to be a progressive mm-hmm. or yeah. you know a centrist like not everybody has the same beliefs not everybody is going to behave the way that Holly behaved as we have seen mm-hmm. so this is just a, a you know an issue I have with a lack of nuance. Surprise, there's a lack of Surprise. nuance on the internet. Yeah. It's a um, great
1: point, Jen, because the, the only time Regnery ever makes it onto this show is when we're talking about books like sure. this in this sort of situation. So I don't know, even within the Regnery catalog, is this to the right of where their right. midpoint is? I'd, or are, are the folks at Regnery, presumably who have made their piece either, you know, Uh, by affirmation or by sort of just participation with being part of a quote-unquote conservative press, are they like, I don't know about this Holly book? Or like, yes, this is exactly the kind of thing we should be doing. I don't know enough about it. But I think that's a good point. Like, there's the hard far right, and then there's conservatives, and there's a whole bunch of things in between and betwixt and around, both of those kinds of things. And I think it's interesting, too, that these relationships allow big publishers to have a finger in the pie mm-hmm. without having culpability, responsibility, whatever else it might be. And I think mm. the, that is something that is maybe at the center of what people, or my first reaction is like, well, it's, it's just getting published by an imprint. How much money, presumably some percentage of whatever books Holly sells goes back to Simon & Schuster. I c- right. frankly, at some level, that's all I care about. Like, right. I don't care what the deal is. I, should yeah. I care if if the idea is this publisher doesn't want to be in the business of the business of Joss Hawley, and they're getting fifty cents per copy for letting it on the trucks and putting in their Edelweiss catalog and you know doing all the stuff that gets packaged together? I don't. I should. I don't care. I frankly don't care right. what the deal is. Um, right. Right.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's an opportunity for like as a for example, something that they could do would be to say, yeah, we're donating any money we get to, you know, X cause, you know, to voter rights organizations, for example, Um, you know, because, yes, you're right. Like at the end of the day. They absolutely get some kind of money Mm -hmm. from distributing it, however small it might be. Uh, So, yeah, I think that's a fair point.
1: Yeah, it's and it's, again, I don't blame them for being in a tough spot because we're in a different world and some of the rules and agreements may have force of, you know, it could, it could, it might be unreasonable right now for Simon & Schuster to say, we're not even going to let you distribute this. Right. You know. But that doesn't mean you get out of jail forever for having yeah. done something crappy or something you don't agree with. Or just own it. Say, you know what? In right. some way, I respect that a little bit differently, saying, it's not our book, but we have this relationship. We think it's important that these presses exist. And while we don't authorize everything they do, these presses have a place in the marketplace and blah, blah, blah. And then take your lumps and move on. You know, I guess right. that would be the other way of doing it. Um, This will now become PRH's problem, right? Because Syrah (laughs) Chester is uh, presumably at some point in the near future going to add to the the burgeoning acronym. um, Yeah. uh, I mean,
0: PRH and Hachette all... Oh, distribute! I was just thinking about you. Mean like distribution wise, like surely another book will come up where this is an issue. But you're right; it's true. PRH is trying to buy right. Simon and Schuster. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. gosh. Anyway, it's a it's a tangled, tangled web.
1: It, sure. it really is. And again, some of this, I think, again, like you say, there's not a lot of room for nuance. When Simon and Schuster struck this deal, presumably it was before Holly was inciting a riot against the cowboy. Yeah. Like, there is some leeway to be given. Um, when you know new facts enter into the world, but them the, this is the business you've chosen to quote Hyman yeah. Roth and The Godfather, and this is the world in which you <laughs> you live. Um, so you got to react to it as best you can. I do wonder if, let's say, what what number of dollars does Regnery's deal contribute to Simon Schuster's bottom line? At what point is it worth it just to do it? Like, just say, you know what, I want I don't want to, I don't want right. to do this. Like, uh, you might. PRH SNS may have an antitrust problem. Actually, when it comes to yeah, stuff like I this, yeah, I think
0: they do. In fact, yeah, but that's if, another if, conversation. You know, and
1: that's the kind of thing that the big platforms are going to run into and are already running into now. It's like it's not a free speech problem necessarily, but an antitrust no. problem is probably more. I'm more sympathetic to that argument than the free speech one. Um, yeah, or at least I'm more interested. I don't know if I'm sympathetic to it, but it makes sense. Like, right, if I if you have the whole market. I can't compete, and you've squashed yeah. out competition. That's the other side of these um, kinds yeah, of arguments. Yeah, I
0: mean, on the flip side, you know, we see authors who are like genuinely marginalized yeah. making it work with self-publishing or you know alternative mm-hmm. options to traditional publishing. So I don't. I I think that it is harder in a lot of ways but also you know they are some of them will never go to traditional publishing because they're making so much more money yeah, the way right. they're doing it now so like i don't think i don't think it's realistic to say that either you get a you know a publishing contract or your words are never seen because we know for a fact that that's not true right that's right. not how the market works however Absolutely, there are antitrust issues. That doesn't mean that it's easy Mm -hmm. or that it should not be easier than it is right now. I guess I was
1: more thinking of the antitrust pieces. Rebecca and I were talking about how basically all the book printers in the U.S. are bankrupt or soon to be bankrupt, right? And, like, there's a a contracting bandwidth to print books. Like, literally hard to print books. It has been. And PRH has been, you know, they're building out their own – I mean – for an internal company thing we were talking about book distributors and like Ingram and Baker and Taylor and then PRH has its own warehouses like that's how big PRH is right now like yeah. they, they, they kind of compete at that level and as they consolidate more not only get the, the distribution bandwidth but they could they if PRH wanted to they could corner the market on book printing in America pretty pretty easily by buying a couple right. things and, and at that point that's because then it's not about what's in the books it's the ability to print yes. books at all yes um, absolutely because I think you're right I think as much as as much as there are very very serious antitrust issues around Amazon it's hard to look at the data i mean it came out in january that print sales were up 22% over last year in january yeah book sales are up people sell books and audiobooks and print books from a buyer's and as you say self-published authors or, or independent presses point of view it's easier to get books in front of people than other. Maybe not print books, but you know, if you want in yep. the circle. But if you're actually in the in, if you're in the business of trying to print on dead trees and get them into bookstores, it's kinda of harder yeah. than ever uh, is, to do yeah. it that way as well. And how this fits into that is really interesting. So that's more follow up than I thought we did, but I, I'm glad you were here <laughs> for this because um you have had more direct experience of like this Michigas of dealing with distributors versus imprints versus yeah. publishing houses, which is difficult. Even for someone like me that kind of does this day in and day out to keep straight. And every mm-hmm. deal is different. I guess that's what we're saying. We don't mm-hmm. know what the nature of the, There's no, so many we don't bespoke know. deals between imprints and publishers, let alone between imprints within sub imprints, you know, all the way down. Mm-hmm. It, it's a mess. Um, the confederation of how publishing works. Again, I don't know a lot of industries. The only one I can think of that may be relevant, as Michelle and I were watching some movie the other night. I'm sure people out there have noticed this too the um The fragmentation of the production company logo like i've got to sit through twelve production company logos right now to watch a movie, right. and I think it's kind of a similar thing where there's so many fingers and so many different pies, who is actually responsible and who's what is mm-hmm. usefully vague for the yeah. producers sometimes um because you can pass the proverbial buck around and say oh, i'm just yeah. a partner i 'm just a distributor i'm you know i'm whatever um so there's that Holly continues to be there um off the top of your head is it is it post hill press there's that's like what's the next most the next biggest you know quote-unquote conservative press do you know off the top yeah, of your head Jen?
0: i i feel like sentinel is one i sentinel. know off the top of yeah. my head but i actually honestly in terms of like relative market yeah. share i have absolutely no idea no, I don't either. um so i mean my knowledge of imprints that are like fiction, which is mostly what mm-hmm. I deal with, is limited at best. So when you get into, you know, especially nonfiction and then, you know, breaking it down into like conservative versus progressive versus centrist, I have, I have very little idea. But yeah, I, uh, that I, it turns out I can name one. Yeah. <laughs> and and Regnery is the other, is right? The it's Regnery and Sentinel. Yeah, right. I think
1: Post Hill I see from time to time, which maybe even, again, it could be, it could be, um, Availability bias that well, I Well, Skyhorse,
0: right? Are they are the ones that the Yeah, that's right. That, they didn't Allen.
1: always used to be, though, right? I mean, but they're
0: not. They're not a conservative imprint. They are an imprint that will print about anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, is, that's is right. Really,
0: what's true about Skyhorse? They horse, don't care uh, what kind of pie it is. They'll no, they put don't, their don't finger care. In it. Yeah. If they think it's going to sell, they'll print it. That's right. And that's you know a different kind of. In in a way, at
1: least I can understand that. You know, I yeah. and respect is not the right word, but it's clearer to me why would I do something else like that you know I don't, yeah. I don't know if it made it onto the show or not and I don't know if it's going to be a thing or not but there was a story floating around about Fox News having its own imprint somewhere yes
0: I do remember seeing that which
1: again is not something I would like to see in the world from a business point of view I can understand why they would do it um, right they could I mean if you're Holly and Simon Schuster drops you and there's Fox News out there that'll publish your book wouldn't be that the one that would pick you up in that regard um, yeah maybe I don't know yeah Okay. Well, you know, that was enough. We better do another sponsor break because we got like three, three more huge stories to get into before we get moving. All right, let's do a sponsor. All right, Jen, you pick next in our um, buffet of interesting news stories.
0: Goodness. Uh, I want to talk about Amanda Gorman. I think we have to. I'm so glad you picked that next. I I was watching the ceremonies. I w- well, I I should say I watched the swearing-in ceremony. Mm-hmm. I did not watch Celebrate America. So tough
1: hang. Celebrate America. I can tell you from uh, having watched it. Tough was
0: hang. it? <laughs> tough hang. Uh I just don't. I don't want to be in front of my TV for that long. Yeah. Um, I saw I saw Lady Gaga. I saw J Lo. I saw Garth Brooks, and I saw Amanda Gorman. The poo-poo like,
1: platter for Amanda Gorman, Lady Gaga, yeah. <laughs> Garth Brooks, and J Lo didn't know they were merely the amuse Bushes to the <laughs> It's, In chorus, that was Amanda Gorman.
0: Absolutely true. So, right, so the the piece we're looking at this time is from The Wrap, uh, reported by J. Clara Chan. And um, it is that her, so she's 22 years old. She's the first youth poet laureate. And she performed a poem at uh, the Biden-Harris inauguration. It was amazing. She, I was watching it with my partner and I said, you know, she, you can tell she's from the slam scene. Like I have a passing familiarity with the slam scene and it was so nice to see that represented on that level of stage and she was incredible. And, and you know, the response has been enormous, right? Her books are number one and number two on Amazon oh, after a And day. they're not out. And they're not out. They're, well, this is the crazy <laughs> part. Go, so yeah. she's got two books coming out. One is called Change Things, which is a children's book. And the second is The Hill We Climb Poems, which is The Hill We Climb is the poem that she performed at the inauguration. Mm-hmm. And we, I just saw this this morning. There was a tweet that says... Uh, Penguin announces one million copies, first printings, for uh, Amanda Gorman's books, which is a huge, Mm. I mean, that is a huge number of books. And the uh, Hill We Climb is being rushed. It was originally supposed to Come out for September, but they're pushing it to March. So you know it's gotten bumped up by like six months. That's a that's a huge that's a huge amount of money on behalf of the publisher to invest in a twenty two year old poet. And I'm so I just could not be more delighted to see all of it. Can we back
1: up just for a second, Jen? Of course. to, To to the actual, I had the experience while watching it, and I I'm assuming now being seeing these trailing indicators that most people who were interested did too. Of in the moment thinking and feeling like, oh, this is a thing. This is a moment. I I remember thinking, and I have some, but probably even less than you do in spoken word and slam poetry. But the cadences, hand gestures, Mm -hmm. um, you know, were a different mode than you're used to seeing. Because of late, I mean, it was a big deal in Maya Angelou. Or Rita Dove was the inaugural poet. But this is even different than that. Because Maya Angelou and Rita Dove and their performance and demeanor fall more in sort of like a, you know... It's almost easier to draw a line between Robert Frost at Kennedy's inauguration and Rita Dove than Rita Dove to Amanda Gorman in terms yes, of style and yeah. substance, right? That they're both Absolutely. black women is important, but mm-hmm. stylistically quite a bit different than Rita Dove would have, would have performed. And I, I do, I, I mean, I, I got choked up, got tears yep. in my eyes, looked over at Michelle, same situation. My kids were completely transfixed. Mm. She's not only 22, but she looks like she's 14, because she's—I yeah. she, mean, I, I, she does
0: have a young face.
1: I didn't know how old she was, so when they said youth poet laureate, I was like, "Is she 14? She could—if you would have told me she was fourteen, I was like, oh, I would have believed that." Um, Roy Roy <laughs> Blunt messed up the interesting saying our, our first poet laureate, I was like, "Oh, Roy, yes. tough tough yeah. hang for for our, our boy Roy Blunt there." Um, so that was fantastic. I haven't done much of the. I, I need the TikTok of how she got this gig. Like, who was this? Who was the talent scout, or like, how did this happen? To to have her. To do this at all and I think and I haven't gone back to check this historically inaugural poets happen earlier in the swearing-in and I wonder yeah. if they knew that ain't no one want to follow Amanda Gorman except for the the benediction that literally the thing we have to do last because if you're Garth you don't want to follow that Lady Gaga <laughs> didn't want to follow that ain't no one want to Biden and Kamala didn't want to follow that so interesting she got this the 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 cleanup spot second to last there at the end um, fascinating to see. I mean, you know, maybe in a future episode, we'll do a, a close reading of the poet, poem itself, Um, because mm. it's something we've liked to done recently. I had a good re- response to that. I need a little more time, I think, to look at it. But then from there, because then, you know, Michelle and I then did the thing that everyone did, it sounds like, which is go on and see, let's go get the book. Let's go get the yep. the thing, the, the, the poem. And I believe in years past, um, the inaugural poet poem was available generally quicker Mm. like usually it was ready to go pretty quick and so when we saw that it wasn't available and then her next book wasn't available for a billion years either i was like who was asleep at the wheel at the publishers like literally i mean (laughs) is that fair jen like why isn't did they not know they clearly didn't know like six months later to get the poem out they just didn't know that it was going to become a thing i guess
0: So I don't have a specific timeline for this, but what I do know is that, you know, as I'm clicking around and seeing all these stories about her come up, I saw one where she is looking very glamorous with lots of other celebrities at an event in November of this past year, which is obviously clearly proceeds. So like her, this is not, you know, she was already a thing in certain circles. She didn't get plucked out of a high school
1: in Sheboygan or something like that, right? Yeah.
0: Right. She I mean she's you know, she's she's a college student, she's clearly been Harvard at you know, Harvard. doing this. Yeah, she's a Harvard student, she's been doing this for a while, like and she has made a name for herself enough to get her on whatever radar she mm-hmm. needed to be on to be tapped as an inaugural poet. Uh but yeah, if I'm her publisher which she clearly already had the book deal right like those book deals did not happen Mm -hmm. post ceremony i would definitely have been trying to rush something Mm -hmm. because you know like even if she hadn't been as amazingly good as she was you're gonna get interest right? right like it's it sort of like it. It almost doesn't matter how the performance is. I mean, it does, but you know what I'm saying. Like, oh, but for a poetry book, for any, for
1: any, if she was terrible, yeah. people would have bought the book just to have it because it was a Biden thing. Yeah, right.
0: exactly. But and then on top of it, it's not like they don't already know that she's good. Like this is not a one off right. thing. You know, right. she got here for a reason. So I do think I am really curious as to who. Who was at that wheel, and what what the decision making was there? Because it does seem like a pretty big oversight not to have something, maybe not the whole thing, but yeah, like something. right. Because
1: she said that she wasn't done; she finished the poem yes. she performed like after the riot and was influenced by the riot, and that's a, again. I don't, print on demand has come a long way, Jen, but you know, we're, not, we're still not there yet. Sure. But to have her other in... poems ready to go wouldn't have been an yes. insane thing to think of. It wouldn't have been outside the realm of possibility to say, she's going to be there. What do we have that's ready to go so that people could go online or into their, well, people don't go into bookstores right now exactly or not very often, but right. like that we have something to, you know, capitalize for her and for us and frankly for the moment to have available. 100%. Like isn't it what publishing is supposed to do to some degree? Yeah. Um, so that 100%. was a frustration. I'm glad to see it get bumped up, but it it is too bad um, yeah. that we couldn't have it quicker and have more of a moment around it. Because e- even yes. March is going to feel like a long time. And yeah, anyway. Uh, so in addition to this, she's got two books. They're both one and two. Um, one million print run. You mentioned before, Rebecca and I as we, as we said last week, we were we were agog at Kristen Hannah's print run for her, her next book being 1.5. Right? Like, wow. that's, that's the upper end of what you're going to get. And for it, basically, someone who went from no one had ever heard of her, no one, you know, I mean, I'm rounding to within a first approximation here. Um, very few people had heard of her to one million print run coming out in April. I'm having a hard time of thinking of anything like it in, in publishing, where you go from the day before your publisher didn't have a book out for you to the next day your books being number one and two. I can't think of an equivalent, Jen. You've been in the book selling business longer than I have and paying attention to it. Is there anything even more close in terms of the hockey – like straight vertical interest if you're right. if you're graphing it, right? Like screw GameStop. I want to be in the Amanda Gorman stock buying business right now. Yeah. I mean it's a fascinating – and she's got a modeling contract. I mean yep. I don't know what to say except she looked, she looked great. I mean I can see why – she looked amazing. Her outfit yes. was amazing. She's a beautiful young woman and she's a young person. Like – I can see why people were drawn to her, and I don't know how to factor that in the conversation. I don't think, if anything, probably it detracts from the quality of the poetry, because people are struck by just what she looks like, frankly. I don't know, I don't know if that's a factor at all. And I guess one of the reasons I was a little bit sad not to have the poetry ready to go. You know, I'm a text person, so I want the text in front mm. of me. I like the performance too, but I want the text in front of me. But as a cultural figure this isn't a publishing story I guess what I'm trying to get this is a cultural figure story yeah and I don't know what it means for her I I can't think of a a a poet with this kind of profile now who's like part model part politician she says in one interview I read with her that she wants to be president someday um so she has she has overt long-term political thinking I don't know Jen I she she seems to me a one-of-one at this moment in my memory of how these things go
0: yeah, I mean, there have been certainly poets who have exploded in popularity over the past years thanks to the internet. Like, I'm thinking of Rupee Cower, yeah. for example, right, yeah. as an, a, a, you know, like who, but I don't think, it, I don't, it wasn't overnight. Like, right. it was maybe over the course of a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know. It's like more viral, term. right? Well,
1: this isn't viral. Yeah. This is like, it's a thing. Like, it's just, right. to- yeah, I right. don't even know how to...
0: Yeah. It. So I, I do think it's, it's a pretty singular event. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm not sure if, what else to say right now. I mean.
0: Pre-order the book. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you can get it right, this is going to go, I mean, it hits all the quadrants for book buying in a lot of ways, right? There's a lot of pent up demand right now. For, frankly, a celebration of liberalism, and I'm using capital L, or lowercase L, liberalism, not that you're a liberal, but like liberal democracy as a thing people who cared about, it's a celebration. It was much more, it was both celebratory and a recognition of pain and Mm -hmm. problem, right? And it's yeah. new. It wasn't just America the Beautiful. You know, it wasn't just a, right. a cover of something else. For a lot of people who are interested in books and don't know spoken word or no slam or other kinds of performed poetry come out of that genre, it has the same sort of feel, shock of the new that, you know, prob- probably striking a lot of the same nerves in woke white people like me that seeing Hamilton for the first time struck in them as right, well, right? right. Like, of, yeah. being, of having a first encounter... With a mature but underknown, relatively speaking, art form, um, yeah. and seeing a full expression of it in a particular context, and then everything else going around it, it's kids. It's a ki- There's kids books. It's approachable. Right. People are going to want it for the historical moment. This is going to go to every public library in America. It's yes. going to go in every school library in America. Um, it's hard to tick more boxes. I don't think. Yeah. Um, in this yeah. particular, really exciting. I, I was moved. And surprised by poetry in a way that I haven't been in a long time, and it was thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling for for mm. for, a, for a ceremony that was so strange uh, for yeah. so many reasons, and muted, and I think understandably so. Unfortunately, you know, you know, Kamala especially didn't get the triumphal um, inauguration day stuff that we would have liked to have seen. But when she, when Amanda Gorman comes out in the bright yellow coat. I'm bad at fashion, so I'll, I'll leave it at coat. I'm sure people, it, it's a more. <laughs> and then, you know, this bright red headpiece, and she's, she's smiling, and she's using her hands, but she's also somber. Like, that twinning of the somberness and the hopefulness was mm. so felt like right on the nerve of where so many mm. people who were invested in the inauguration were, um, that I think there was something to I don't want, I'm trying not to undersell the message that was in within the performance and the spectacle of it. There was a piece of it that wasn't just that, that wasn't just consuming it. Like it really spoke to something. Um the, li- yeah. the the line that seems to be going around the most, the most memeable lines, which would, you know, in the old days I would have written a book where I posted the, the ten most memeable lines from Amanda Gordon. Right. But the ones like, you know, there's always light if you only can see it, if, there, if only you can be it, I think struck a lot yeah. of people. Um, and, and a variation of, um, of Morrison's, you know, write the book you want to see in the world. A variation yeah. of Gandhi's, I think, be the change you want to see in the world. So mm-hmm. it's related to prior ideas, but with enough of a spin that yeah. it felt new again. Really exciting. It, hard, it can be hard to have a more exciting book-related, literature, um, reading-related moment in the year. Um, and, yeah. and technically, this is 2021. But uh, inauguration was New Year's Day 2021, as far as I was concerned. So I'm, I'm wrapping it yeah. in there. Going from being surprised to going to my wheelhouse. Uh, mm. Ebook prices are back in the news. Jennifer Northington. And let me just say,
0: <laughs>
1: welcome to my house, world. It's time to have this conversation again. I've been talking about this really since the show began, but really especially since the first of these lawsuits. It's really who's colluding with whom is the yeah. the ongoing the ongoing carousel of ebooks and the reason it is is something we referred to before and you and I definitely have different opinions on Amazon but where I am come down on Amazon is with ebooks they absolutely are a monopoly they do 90% of ebooks and yeah. multiple collusion lawsuits that are legitimate that Regular people can understand, like most of these antitrust stuff, it's like about buying lithium from, you know, someplace in Africa, like these antitrust things you don't really understand very well. But this is like, I've been talking about, I mean, I don't want to congratulate myself because I'm, but I'm saying I've been talking about this for years about how ebook prices make absolutely zero sense. And there's absolutely no competition for ebook pricing because of it all happens in one place. And publishers can keep the prices high because there's no discounting, and Amazon is interested in keeping them just high enough, but also just low enough to serve their industry and competitive needs. And the other thing that's really hard, I think, is that you know one thing that uh, I just bought today. What did I just buy today? Something from Book Riot Deals. Like, two, oh, Lee, yesterday I bought Ninth House by Lee Bardugo for three bucks for, from Amazon. Okay, how can that be true? But all front lists are all $14.99. Like literally every frontlist book is yeah. fourteen ninety nine for ebook. So on January fourteenth is Publishers Weekly a piece by Andrew Albanese. This was all over the place too. So you can find yeah. it in a very different places. The same law firm that successfully sued Apple and five major publishers for colluding to fix ebook prices in twenty eleven. So that was just as book where I was getting started. So we the podcast I had have even started. So I didn't get to rail about that. I didn't get to gloat <laughs> about that. There now I get to um, go down like the um, the the MC of the Mardi Gras parade. <laughs> um accusing the company of colluding with big five publishers to restrain price competition in the e book market filed in New York the southern district of New York, which is the most sympathetic sympathetic district to anti antitrust legislation there's a reason why yeah. these mostly get served there um names not only only Amazon as a defendant, which I think is interesting but the big yeah. five are all there as co conspirators uh this there is we go
0: like do, we, do you know what that means in, like, I don't. non-lawyer? Tra- like, I wish I sort of wish we had asked our, our resident in-house mm-hmm. lawyer, p- former lawyer, about this. Because, like, what I'm wondering is, okay, so if only Amazon is a defendant, then are they the only ones who bear the consequences? Or, like, does the suit then impact what publishers can, can and cannot do yeah. going forward. Right. I just like who, who, who does this stick to? I guess. I don't Both know. Financially Jen. and legally. I think that's it's a great what, that's point. One of my we'll do
1: some more. I'll do some more homework as this develops. Um, and I think there'll be more as things get, you know, brought into the light about this, but I don't take the phrase co-conspirator lightly. I feel like no. that's something that has not only sort of a cultural impact, but it feels like it has a legal gravity yeah. as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, um uh yeah consequences there seems to revolve around a most favored nations clause to squelch consumer price competition and keep ebook prices artificially high i think it's really interesting i mean whatever you think about i i know less about um antitrust law than i probably could i think it's fascinating that this was filed on january 14th um mm. because the last administration, I think was very uninterested in prosecuting um, antitrust violations right I think the current administration is probably more interested and also writ large, not for nothing, no one right now feels great about big tech right Everyone is interested in like do, can we do we they really need to be up there so high in terms of power and prestige and, and profit yeah. right is this really reasonable right now? So I think there's a sense in which public sentiment is like, yeah, I, I would bet most people would say yeah Amazon probably has too much power, right? In in a survey, most people would probably right. understand that people still like to use them. I still like to use them, but I don't I don't think it makes any sense that ebook prices are always 14.99. It it just doesn't make any sense to me. The other thing that's happened interesting and I wonder how this connects to something I've talked about on the show before and I got some follow up from listeners. Thank you very much. I didn't I'm not going to do it directly. Also kind of backing up my observation that the discounting of print books on Amazon Is almost gone. I mean, it's a completely different world. Now, the AAA, I'm sure Amanda Gorman's book will have a 40% discount when it comes out because it it keeps the things that would be on the front table of Costco at a 40% discount. But like number eight and me and my and Rebecca draft picks are going to be maybe 10% off right now. So then in the old days, the the thing I was railing against is how the ebooks were fourteen ninety nine and the hardcover was fifteen ninety nine or something like that. It's like, how does that make sense for an ebooks situation? That clearly tells you that something is out of whack. Because I know it's you still gotta pay and you still gotta edit, but you can't tell me that it costs a dollar more to print and ship a hardcover than it is to deliver an ebook. I I I've looked at the math. It doesn't work. Like it's way cheaper no. to do an ebook. But interesting, rather than being ebook prices down to reflect the the premium that that they get um, for an ebook versus shipping and printing, especially now, frankly, a hardcover. What they've done is floated the the print prices up, right? They didn't bring yeah. ebooks down; they floated up because you know what? That's more money to Amazon. Whereas bringing ebook prices down is less money to publishers and Amazon. So again, I don't know the law. I'm not. They're probably gonna have to find some sort of smoking napkin where someone wrote down, "Hey, let's collude at some <laughs> restaurant somewhere." I don't know what they, what the burden of proof is, but based on the pricing strategy we've seen of late, the pieces fit together with me that there is some sort of coordinated wink-wink, nod-nod even agreement that we're going to keep e prices where we are and let the discount on print float up and there's more money for us who make books writ large. Jen, what do you think of that theory? Does that make sense to you? What do you add to this?
0: Well, I think it's important to note here that Publishers have not changed the price of hardcover or print pa- fair, books. Fair, fair, Amazon fair. has changed the price and yes. Amazon has been selling print books at a loss since they started. Mm-hmm. That was a very deliberate strategy. It's like documented as a business strategy as a loss leader. You can look it up. Loss leaders anchor consumers understanding that they're getting a better deal and then pave the way for you to buy other items at it potentially inflated or certainly non-discounted prices and still feel like you're getting a bargain so they lure you in with the cheaper thing mm-hmm. and then you they get the money for the more expensive thing. And books were their cheaper thing, which makes sense, right? They're super easy to optimize for. And while publishers print, you know, prices on the book like it literally says how much the book costs on the mm-hmm. cover, but you can charge whatever you want. Now, because an ebook is a digital good and the rules around that are so wibbly-wobbly and still in development, you know, publishers were able to say like this is how much ebooks cost, right? That was that first mm-hmm. lawsuit. Um, and then, you know, again, like in Amazon's interest, like it, they've been losing money on books for decades. So what incentive do they have to downprice the ebooks? None. Almost none. None. Almost none. none. So, it, and because they're not warehousing anything, they're just paying for, I don't know, whatever the license distribution fees yeah, are. Yeah, the DRM, the digital rights management. Yeah, exactly, the DRM sort of, yeah, right. and then the, you know, the cost from the publisher, the, right. whatever the publisher prices for those. Uh, like, there's no incentive for them to downprice it. So, like, am I surprised? Zero percent. Like, it was only a matter of time mm-hmm. before Amazon captured enough of the market share through loss leading that then they didn't have to do it anymore. Yeah. Like, loss leading isn't a permanent strategy. It's as long as it takes to get as much market share as you're going for. And then you don't have to do it anymore because it's convenient. It's familiar. People are used to it. They have their own shipping arms. So now you can get a book from Amazon in like a tenth of the time that it takes to get a book from anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the U.S. Postal Service is extremely defunded, underfunded, Yeah, yeah, defunded, underfunded, like in crisis at the moment. Um, So you know, I, like I I I honestly don't know what to say about it other than I will be very curious to see what arguments are made in favor of fixed ebook pricing mm-hmm. because, you know, I've seen the math as well. Like it, it it's it's weird math, right? Yes. But it, ebooks are not that much cheaper to produce than print books. It's just that people are have accepted a different kind of price structure for physical goods versus digital goods. And so, you know, the perception of value is very different mm-hmm. in the consumer. And that's why a hardcover costs $32 and a paperback costs, you know, sixteen ninety-nine. when in fact it costs like, a, there's like a dollar difference in terms of materials yeah. to produce a hardcover versus a paperback. Like, that's just true. Yep. Um, and, you know, so again, like... <laughs> margins are I like such a mystifying thing to me you know like the markup in books is some of the smallest margins in retail you know if you buy an article of clothing that markup is like in the hundreds to thousands of persons <laughs> whereas yes. a book is like you know 40 to 60 percent mm. margin which if you
1: come to it cold that feels like a good margin right I think that's that yeah. context is helpful what you said about clothes or some other things clothes I mean not for nothing using extremely cheap labor from globalization Mm -hmm. to make coats then you charge 200 for because you have brand name on it yeah is a huge margin and some of the brand some of that brand stuff just doesn't work in publishing right because no no one cares what the imprint is it's just true and weirdly even books that people do care like again i'm so interested in all of it but like Publishers also then don't charge more for their premium brands in terms of like the authors. Yes, like the Gorman right. book is not going to be forty nine ninety nine. No, right. it could in, in different situations you would pay more to get the um, the Gucci bag versus the right. the regular bag, but in books and reading it doesn't work that way for reasons I think I understand, but makes for weird incentives all over the place. So I'm looking right now at the profits by Robert Jones Jr. debut novel. Um, I'm going to read it. It's next on my list, but I haven't bought it. Right? Came out in January. Number one new release in black and African-American historical fiction on Amazon. Jen, I would like for you to guess (laughs) right now. I'm sorry. This is something I do to Rebecca. (laughs) That's fine. But you're playing Rebecca today, so you have to take this. I'm so sorry. And also not sorry at all. That's fine. The list price, you know, this is what you're going to pay at your local indie, is $27. Right. Okay. What do you guess? This is US. I'm signed in as myself. I'm a prime member. I buy literary fiction. I don't know how if there's any variance by this is, uh, asterisk. I don't know if they do any stuff like this. I've changed the price based on your buying patterns for this stuff. So right. that's a thing I've right. always wondered, but I can't be anyone other than my other than myself legally at this point, at least. So what do you think the hardcover price is right now for it's a debut lit fic, and this is big five. So let me get you the imprint. I think this is one. Is this one world? Oh boy, I gotta do all the blurbs. Putnam. up. Puttin up.
0: <laughs> I I mean I've been looking at this too. I've not seen much discounting yeah. for titles like this. So I'm gonna guess like twenty five.
1: Twenty-three ninety nine. It's an eleven percent right. discount. Can you do you know you, you do audio book you do ebooks from Kobo, and that's the other place I want to bring yes. this in here. What would you expect to pay on Kobo for this kind of a book?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think generally like fourteen to sixteen ninety nine. Fourteen ninety
1: nine on Kindle. Yep. Yeah. So that's the piece that I that that's not mentioned here that I think it's interesting that you happen to be on today because I do my audiobooks from Libby and from Amazon, and you do from your library. Do you use Libby as well? Yes. And Kobo.
0: Uh, I I do. I use Libby. I use Hoopla. Yep. And I use Kobo. Kobo. Yep.
1: It's so weird to me that the Kindle pr- the ebook prices are basically the same on Apple on Google, on Kobo, and on Amazon. Isn't that interesting?
0: Well, and not only that, that uh, if there's a down price on Amazon, it usually means there's a down price on Kobo. So like, for example, when I see something show up in the book Riot Daily Deals... I don't click that link because I'm not going to buy it from Amazon. Mm-hmm. But if I go to Kobo, nine Probably times out there. of ten, I have the same or a close like maybe it's maybe it's three ninety nine instead of one ninety nine. But generally speaking, it's also down priced mm-hmm. on the Kobo site. So yeah. like I'm not paying any more for eBooks. What I'm not getting are all of those Amazon exclusives. You yeah. know, their 99 cent, right. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're ninety nine cent like whatever internal publishing. I can't Dean, get those. They're Dean
1: Koontz or you know whatever. Yeah, else is out, right.
0: You know, yeah. So I don't have access to those, but otherwise, if it's you know a traditionally published ebook, generally the pricing yeah it matches it what's, matches.
1: What's what do you think the best selling fiction? I'm just I'm trying to think of something. What's what's <laughs> discounted forty percent right now? Would you guess? Like what's the?
0: God, I <sighs> am go. so like.
1: Here we go. I I I keep okay. it looks good. So Outlawed by Anna North. I think this is a literary nerd pick right now. It might even it was a Reese's book club pick, but he was even he was making some preview lists on like the millions and stuff before. Right. List price list price of twenty six dollars. Any guesses uh, about what the the sticker price is?
0: I'm gonna bet you that it is around fifteen dollars.
1: Yeah, sixteen thirty five. Right. 16, yeah 35. and but I
0: will bet you that's a Reese Witherspoon. It is. Op. I it would is. I would not expect that book to if Reese Witherspoon had not picked it and it was still yep. buzzy in yep. in the fictional world I will bet you it would not be that I I think
1: that's you're right on the you're right on the nose here is that it's kind. Of, I think it's been hidden to most average buyers of books, right? Because someone buying Anna North is not an average person, but they might represent right. the midpoint of a book buyer. They're going to read mm. a fiction book, but they might need it to be in a book club or their friend talked about it. They're not like you and I are book write people who are like, you know, you know, like scouting for books that are coming down and reading right. the Edelweiss blurb coming down the way. Those still, and then if something makes the bestseller list by dint of word of mouth or something else like that... Um, then then it'll go there. So, yeah, I, I just. But the Kindle stuff then isn't discounted, so it's it doesn't float mm-hmm. with the other discounting, which is a pretty indi- good indication to me that the the price is being manipulated. Because if you're yeah. discounting the hardcover and the Kindle thing's always the same, except if it goes to two ninety nine when it's been out for two years, and that price is the same on every other digital platform, it just so happened that everyone rolled no. hard eights on the dice all the time. They, that makes no, no, no. sense.
0: My understanding is that fixed ebook pricing is a feature, not a bug. That's like, right. That's exactly I, isn't right. Isn't it agency pricing? It's yes. like that's the whole point of it. Yes. And I think what this lawsuit is doing is contesting the legality of yeah, that. Right. Like they're saying, like, no, this isn't just a business practice, this is collusion mm. and it's, you know, a most favored nation issue and all of this other stuff. But yeah, my understanding is that like again, it's it is it's not by chance. It's that way deliberately, right. and everybody has agreed to this because that's what you have to agree to if you want to sell the ebook.
1: That's right. So, and the anti-competitive bit is a little bit hard to see, but I think and, and tell me if this thought experiment makes sense to you, Jen. Say Book Riot wanted to um, open its own ebook store, right, where you could buy ebooks through us, and it would be on your little Book Riot app. But we wanted to do the same thing Amazon did to print books to get started, which is we'll loss lead on ebooks to get people to use our platform. So we're going to have The Survivors by Jane Harper, which is the number one pick in my draft that a lot of people mentioned in their um, few, few too many votes for me versus Rebecca, <clears throat> I should say, in our <laughs> draft last week, right? And they want to buy it. And we said, you know what? We don't need to make, we just want to, we don't even want to, we won't even take a loss. We just want to break even on the sale yeah. of the ebook. I don't think right now Flatiron would let us sell it for $9.99 or whatever, right? We couldn't even do that. Because of these most favored nations, and they wouldn't give us the right, and blah, blah, blah. That's basically what you're saying, right, Jen?
0: Yeah, the the pricing the down pricing happens on the publisher yes. side. So if a book is one ninety nine, two ninety nine, whatever, it's because the publisher mm-hmm. has reset the price for a limited amount of time. Maybe they did it in collaboration with Amazon based on what's selling, what's popular, blah, blah, blah. But like they're the ones who say, Okay, now this book is this price and that's why it's across the board. That's why it shows up on Kobo. That's why it's yep. the same. So you know, it's, it, it, again, it's, it's a feature, it's mm. a agreed upon business practice that ebook prices are fixed. That's right.
1: And if you, I'm looking at the, the Jane Harper, the survivals, which c- c- comes out next week too. Stelvin decided what format, blah, blah, blah. If you look at the hardcover right now, 30% discount. So, you know, this is a, it's a franchise, it's a global franchise. Jane Harper at this point, you know, it already mm-hmm. has five thousand ratings from around the the world. The hardcover is nineteen fifty nine on a twenty eight dollar list price, so it's a thirty percent haircut. The mm. Kindle is fourteen ninety nine. The other thing, if you buy eBooks at all, and I don't know if Google and Apple do this, but if you click on the Kindle and look at the little, you know, pre order price fourteen ninety nine, and right under says sold by Macmillan, and then in italics below it says price set by seller, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. If
1: you look at the if you look at the um, hardcover, it does not say that. So right. the, the canary right. there is that it's set by Amazon. So yep. I don't know. So clearly the lawsuit then that names Amazon particularly, even though Amazon is trying to say, we didn't set this price, don't blame us right. for high book e-book prices, the lawsuit is basically saying, well, you, the thing is you have 90% of the market. You could use your market position to lower Kindle prices. Amazon could. You know why I know that? Because right. they're already doing with hardcover prices. Right. <laughs> So anyway. Yeah,
0: although I guess the argument could be that like at the point that agency pricing came into effect, there could have been collusion with Amazon at that point. Yes. You know, right. like in the, like, it's not a, it's not a chicken issue. It's an egg issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. right. that could be, that could be. Jeff, do we need to do another sponsor? I'm just looking at my time Yes, right we here. do need
1: to do one more sponsor and we've got like one more story to do, but we got to do our last sponsor and then I get out of here. Uh, let's say that's it. We're going to follow the story clearly. Um, You have feelings about the Sparrow adaptation that Rebecca mentioned briefly. I don't know where you fall on the Sparrow spectrum. Is is this a beloved text? Are you anxious about this? You tend to be okay on the whole with adaptations of books you like, so I wouldn't wouldn't imagine it's sort of a prior against adaptations. Talk to me about your take on the Sparrow being adapted writ large and also the particulars that you've learned about here.
0: Yeah, so this is an interesting one because, you know, this book was written – a while ago. Yes. Let's say that for a start. Um, yeah, published in 1996. So this book is uh, is college age. Is that right? No, it's like post-college. It's like yeah. in his 30s now. Depends um, on how
1: old you are, Jen.
0: Yeah, 30s. <laughs> so anyway, right. So uh, So this book has been out for a while. And I just want to say, like, I read it you know, and I want to say the early aughts Mm. and it kind of blew my mind. Like it was unlike anything else I had read at that point. And I have actually been afraid to revisit it Yes, because I feel confident that there are things in there that I would now find less appealing Mm -hmm. uh, as a reader. And um, like, I think, you know, potentially there's some issues around like, Racial depictions and, you know, uh, speciesism like, sex- and
1: otherness maybe? and yeah. like, so, yeah,
0: so there's a lot of like potential weird stuff in there. So I, that informs my then like trepidations slash interest in an adaptation, because what I think happens so often with these things is this is a chance to update that yes. stuff right like this is a chance to sort of bring uh, a director and a showrunner and a show writers sensibilities to material that perhaps is now dated or you know could use some updating mm-hmm. in various ways uh however you have to trust the team that's doing the updating mm-hmm. to do a good job on that which isn't always True, and you also have to trust an adaptation team to maintain what's so wonderful about it, right? right. And and so, like that's a lot, especially when it's a book that is as intense as *The Sparrow* and has provoked such strong responses in readers. As the like, people don't like this book; people love this book.
1: It's like it's not quite right to call it a cult classic, but it's also not far off either, right? Like it captures something of the Allegiance, to allegiance is too strong there, but but the affection, the the emotional and intellectual and almost spiritual investment in the reading of the sparrow. For those of you who haven't read the sparrow before, I'm going to read briefly the the description. I think a very. I don't know if they got this from somewhere else. This is in um, the Hollywood Reporter by Rick Porter. Hollywood Reporter by Rick Porter. Anyway, there we are. Uh, published in 1996, The Sparrow follows a group of Jesuit priests and scientists led by linguist Father Emilio Sandoz that makes the first contact with ex- extraterrestrial life. The Vatican then backs a secret mission to a faraway planet in order to prove the existence of God throughout the universe. The mission ends in disaster, and Sandoz, the lone survivor, returns to Earth a broken man to face a Vatican inquiry into the now scandalous misadventure. If it sounds like a mashup of, like, Contact, The Da Vinci Code, and Arrival... There's a re- I mean, it's not that, but that's what it sounds like, and <laughs> yeah. that's how strange of a book it is, a one-of-one one in a lot of ways. The creative team, to me, is both interesting, and you'd like some women, you'd like some people of color involved in this, Yeah, but the individual projects, like right? John Rennick, who did Chernobyl, which I talked about on the show is being an unbelievable achievement, um, also uh, the creative team that was involved in The Queen's Gambit, which a lot of people liked, I liked it fine. Um, also, Better Call Saul, people, and Logan, and Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. It feels like a, an esteemed collection, but nothing there. I, I don't think I see any traps, but I don't see anything that give me like, oh yeah, they're interested in updating this and bringing it to a, a contemporary sensibility. And because it's a, you know, anytime you're with religion in the church, I mean, that's that's a minefield, Jen. Like that's kind of what you're oh, su- yeah. suggesting there in a lot of ways. Um,
0: yeah, I would like to see. I mean, I think I you know it is. It should be a requirement for any production Mm -hmm. in the age that we are in that there is diversity in the writer's room in a lot of different ways. Because I think there's there's also, you know, there's potential ableism issues with this book. There's, you know, sex work portrayals. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, yeah, like there's a lot of really rough, heavy stuff. There's trauma, there's abuse, there's xenophobia, there's, you know, like I said, some racial depictions. Like there's a lot of really thorny... And then the religion aspect. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many. And that's why this book does provoke such a strong reaction is because, you know, Russell is... I think wrestling with these questions. I don't think there are easy answers in this book. I think uh, there's a lot of questioning. And um, but to do that in a, you know, sensitive and thoughtful and non-exploitative way Mm -hmm. is the trick here. And when you're bringing something to, you know, something that has been like a text to visualizations, there's it's so easy to turn it into torture porn, for Mm -hmm. example, or to exploit the trauma in a way that is unhealthy and disrespectful of, you know, the survivors who have been through similar things. So it's, it's, it's kind of a minefield. Yes. I mean, it really kind of is. Um, and since we know, like, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of, you know, our, uh, co-creator showrunner mm-hmm. situation director, um, you know, who's going to be in that writer's room is yep. a question I'm very curious about. Yeah.
1: And I think the, 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 le- the minefield is one allegory. The other one is like a gymnastics degree of difficulty. I think the degree yeah. of difficulty is extremely high. If pulled off well, could be an amazing phenomenon and a wonderful document, a cultural document, and that stands alongside Sparrow. If done poorly it could be hitting your head on the balance beam as you fall to your bloody yeah. and ignominious end. Like, that's <laughs> that, those are kind of the poles, I think. I don't think there's a middle, yeah. like, it was just fine. That's a weird, no. that weirdly is like the, weir- that's like the least likely outcome to me. That was
0: fine. Right. Right. Yeah, I think so. And, like, we could get, like, a Watchmen-level adaptation here, right? Like, it's a limited series, which I think is smart. I don't think you can make this into a movie effectively. Um, I also don't think you should turn it into, like, season 10 of 10, you know, situation. (laughs) Right? Like, can you imagine? So I think a limited series is smart uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of format. Uh, But, again, like... it's it's you're biting off a lot and like how well are you going to be able to deliver to mix my metaphors yeah
1: it does make sense though that it's taken this long in this sort of new film genre for the sparrow to even be approachable as a limited series because it's not a movie It's not, it's not, and it's also not an ongoing TV show, as you said, and you need some budget to make it look not cheesy, and there's a lot of things you need to do. Yeah, there's aliens, there's
0: other planets, like there's space travel, there's all kinds of stuff that you're going to need an FX budget for.
1: So you need a lot of money, you need it to be adult, and you need it to be you know eight hours over eight episodes or something like that, and only now... Are we ready to have a market for that? So it makes sense right. to me in that regard.
0: Yeah, it's the age of prestige TV, right? And right. this is if anything is a piece of prest- prestige TV, it's this. Yeah,
1: yeah, it really is. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that for a few minutes. We haven't yet talked in detail. Maybe I'll wait for Rebecca to come back. I don't think she ever read White Noise by Don DeLillo, or maybe she said she has been a million years. But that was the other one that we got like mm-hmm. within 10 minutes. Uh, Noah Baumbach <laughs> making his first four-way in adaptation with a non-problematic book at all called White Noise by Don DeLillo from 1986. We'll go 10 years <laughs> back even further um, in, a, in, a, in a book that also feels relevant, could be relevant, mm-hmm. but also needs updating. Because um, culturally... 1996 was about a hundred years ago. Uh, right. And 86 was 200 years ago. It feels like to yeah. me at this point, Jen, thank you so much for stepping in for Rebecca this week. Hopefully we'll, will we talk to you again before Dune is in theaters? <laughs> you can email me at podcast at dot com. place your bets uh, right now. Uh, as always, you can find show notes at dot com slash listen. I'm going to take votes. Um, for Rebecca versus my Swiss Army basket of picks until February 6th, right? I'm just making it up right now um, because not (laughs) everyone's listening to it.
0: Is this your opportunity to shill for yourself when she's not on the air?
1: (laughs) Let me just say right now that if it ended right now, I would be okay. But I want to give people a chance to vote. You know how these things are with podcast downloads, Jen. At what yes. point is enough people listen to it that you've given people a fair shake, but it's also not 16 weeks from now when no one cares? Like, this is the problem. Two weeks, two this weeks. is my answer Well, there it question. is. That's two weeks then. February 6th, the last well, day to go. vote. Um, you can explain if you want. I've enjoyed the explanations for people's votes, especially when you're voting for me. Um, but Jen, <laughs> uh, they can vote for either Jeff or Rebecca. You can just put in the subject line. You can give me a little explanation. I don't care. Um, you can find the lineups in the show notes to last week's episode um, podcast at bookriot.com. Thanks, Jen. We'll talk to you next time.